Welcome to the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. Established in 2016, the Fintech Times is a global multimedia news outlet centered around the world's first leading fintech newspaper. We report on the latest and brightest ideas from the fintech world. Follow the conversation using hashtag TFD News and Views and follow us at, at the Fintech Times. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. Francis, Tom, what a week to be talking about fintech. Uh, but how are you guys doing? Tom, what's what's new in your world? What's new? Uh, honestly, not that much. Um, we've been we've had a pretty standard week in terms of in terms of news. It hasn't been the busiest news week, so that's why I'm quite excited to get into this podcast and dive into some of the more interesting pieces that we've we've been speaking about in the last seven days or so. But uh, no, honestly, not too much. But I'm uh, excited to be back nonetheless. Fantastic news, and Francis, how about you? Pretty much the same, to be honest. I'm very happy to be here to talk some fintech with you guys today. I like the look of the stories we've brought to the table, so it should be a good one. Fantastic stuff. Well, speaking of stories brought to the table, what are you going to be talking about this week? Uh, Francis, what's your article on? I'm going to be discussing the cost of living crisis and how the UK's attitude differs to the rest of, the, to the rest of Europe. Uh, amazing stuff. And Tom, how about you? This week, I'm going to be talking about how Nigeria is setting its sights on drastic digital transformation by training 3 million people in tech. Fantastic. And I'm going to be talking about Saga and Flagstone's new partnership for an over 50s fintech savings platform. It's just three very different stories this week. I like I like the variety. We love that. I am going to pick on Francis to go first because why not? Okay, then. <laughs> no, happy to go first. So as we all know, the cost of living crisis has been hitting everyone across the globe, really, but especially in Europe and the UK, you know, Cost of living has absolutely skyrocketed due to high interest rates and just high inflation as well. The Bank of England recently stagnated its interest rate growth for the first time after I believe it was 14 consecutive rises to stay at 5.25%. But what I found really interesting in this article from CRIF, the European Digital Transformation Solutions Provider, was that Despite what everyone might think about cost of living, it turns out that UK residents tend to be less worried about it impacting their credit history and their credit score. And I just thought it was really interesting to sort of think about that, especially when you think about how accessible finance is nowadays and how how much financial organizations really do to try and help you get a good credit score and help you get access to these financial products really and i thought it was interesting to see that the uk's attitude doesn't really reflect that is that grateful of it it almost seems like it seems like they're taking it for granted a little bit and i just thought it was really interesting to see the comparison really because for example the average in europe excluding the uk according to crif that is that 37% of people are worried about the impact their credit score will have with people in France, or, or I should say nearly 50%, 49% of people in France are the most concerned about it. And as I mentioned, it is just interesting to see that despite constant news coverage of rising interest rates and this constant fear that, you know, my I might not be earning enough, I might not be able to buy groceries this week, I might not be able to pay the bills or whatever it might be. It just less than half of of Brits in the report felt that the cost of living crisis had made them more mindful about getting into debt in the future. So 
I think I just wanted to bring this to the table, really, to sort of get your guys' thoughts on, does this really surprise you? Does Is there anything that, do you think it's organizations that need to do more to change this attitude or does it really lie with the customers, us, I suppose? Uh, Tom, I'll go to you first. I honestly, I can't decide whether I'm surprised by this or not, really. I feel like if anyone's going to be really nonchalant about this type of increase in economic pressure, maybe it is people in this country. Uh, just that, oh, yeah, it'll get better, it's fine, you know, that kind of attitude. Um, but another part of me thinks perhaps it is something that I think we spoke about either last week or the week before was the importance of financial education and whether there's just not enough of that in this country. And, and you can kind of call back on that here. People aren't really aware of the kind of impact that increasing interest rates have on their everyday lives, what it could have on their, their credit scores. And perhaps it's just a case of education when people aren't aware of what's going on. I, I remember reading a an article a long time ago, when they, maybe like a year ago, when the interest rates were still going up at the time, but they were not as high as they are now. And the majority of people that they surveyed in the UK had no idea actually the impact it was having. Like They didn't understand where these price raises, rises were going to occur. They didn't understand, you know, how it was going to impact them day to day, if it would at all. Um, and a lot of people wrongly believed that it was going to affect parts of their lives that it wouldn't. So I think perhaps a lot of this is to do with people just aren't actually aware, even today after 14 consecutive rises, of their, the significant impact that it can have on their lives. And perhaps that's why they're less concerned is because it's not something at the forefront of their mind. See, that's really interesting because I think when you say it like that, it makes it sound like, the onus is more on the companies to make because I think they're the ones that really have to help educate people that don't know because I think there's only so much that a consumer well I say that there's only so much an organization can do to really help a consumer to get to that point where they are in classified I suppose as financially educated whereas when I see this I I tend to think that it's more on the consumers really to really sort of pay attention to it because like I said We've definitely seen a lot of organizations, be it banks or other fintechs or whatever it might be, really stepping up to sort of let people know about, you know, education and how it can really help them. So I think it's a really interesting point of view, what you've just said there, Tom, because I think it does show perhaps that more can be done by organizations because at the end of the day, financial education is in incredibly important. And I guess you're right. It's just it doesn't. The, the levels aren't high enough, really, to let people know. Polly, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's interesting what you, you both have said already. I do agree with Tom, and if there's anyone to, like, just not be bothered about something, it is the British public. Um, and just be like, yeah, I'll be fine, don't worry about it. Um, and I think that that's kind of the two attitudes that I'm hearing, just, like, in my, like, personal life, you know, like, talking to people about it. Uh, either it's, like, yeah, it'll be fine, or people, like, being really worried about it. Um, I think it's really interesting... Um, the data that has been presented and the fact that sort of the UK don't seem concerned compared to a lot of Europe, that's quite interesting to me. Um, and I, I guess, yeah, I think there is a little bit of work here that perhaps the banks and lenders and other organisations like you were just saying, maybe they do need to be a bit more involved um, in order to ensure like people are using credit responsibly and are affording are able to afford repaying that credit and other sort of financial solutions of a similar thing because you know maybe then 
people aren't worried about it, but perhaps they should be, depending on like how they're using the credit offered to them. Like if people are not worried about it because they're putting their energy bills on a credit card and forgetting about it, then that that's the issue there. Um, and so that's a really interesting idea, I think, that probably is going to be explored a little bit more, I'd imagine, by banks and lenders if they're not doing it already, because uh, it doesn't seem like this cost of living situation is going anywhere. You know, we we keep talking about it and it's all we hear about at the moment. And I know the last um, interest rate, uh, the Bank of England interest rate stayed the same, so which people took as a positive, but is that going to continue to happen or is it going to go back up, back down? We don't know. Um, hopefully it's not going to be a situation for much longer and we're going to kind of get back economically to where we were a few years ago. That would be nice. But who's to say? But I do find this very interesting and I definitely think that there's some work to be done here about being a bit more mindful about your debt and your own finances as you navigate through a situation like this. So, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point that you sort of brought up is when you like talk to people and they say, oh, I, I don't really care. And it's like you both said it, like the, the British public just doesn't really care. But I think it's it's not even that they don't care and that they're aware of it. I think the majority of people, or not maybe not the majority, maybe that's being a bit dramatic, but I think a lot of people probably wouldn't even know if you said to them how many times is the, maybe not how many times, because that's possibly quite niche, but did the have interest rates rise risen recently i I think some people would genuinely be like no idea and because of that it's it's just that awareness and the well yes awareness of the financial situation that's going around them right now and how it can really impact them so i think it is interesting to see that how the uk differs is that just a cultural thing or perhaps it's it's the organizations i mean time will tell and like you said polly hopefully things do return well, the situation improves a bit, but I definitely think it's something to keep an eye on. So basically what the article I'm bringing to the table today is all about Nigeria and its Minister of Communications, Innovation and Digital Economy. I believe it's pronounced Bosun Tajani. He unveiled a new strategic blueprint for digital transformation, which includes a plan to train 3 million Nigerians with technical talents in the next four years leading up to 2027. And basically between now and then, the ministry revealed it has three key objectives which aim to accelerate the growth of Nigeria as a a global technical talent hub and net exporter of talent to deepen and accelerate its position in global research in key technology areas. And finally, raising the complexity and dynamics of Nigeria's economy by significantly increasing the level of digital literacy across the country. So basically regarding the talent development in Nigeria, its main goal is to train, as I said, 3 million early to mid career technical talents throughout the next four years. And it's training plans to cover tech enabled and tech adjacent skills, core tech competencies and advanced proficiency. So they're trying to cover the whole spectrum of, of tech talent. They're not just focusing on really advanced um, people in tech already and trying to advance them, but they're also trying to bring specifically, you know, millions of people into the the tech game, as it were, and specifically people that haven't been introduced to it before as it tries to establish itself as a, as a really core tech company, uh, country, sorry, um, in the world and specifically in Africa. 
And should it meet this goal, it wants to retain at least half of these 1.5 million of these newly trained tech professionals within its local talent pool. And it hopes that it will only lose another 1.5 million to the global marketplace. So it's hoping to keep at least half of these. And really, you know, if it does manage this and it does achieve this, it's a very, very ambitious goal. But it would have a massive impact, I'm sure, on Nigeria's economy for a start, but also just the development of technology, which would would place it very far ahead if it achieves its goals of uh, specifically other countries in Africa. Um, And as I said at the start, another one of the key objectives that the ministry has is to develop digital literacy. And basically, it wants to ensure 95% digital literacy by 2030 as it looks to become a digitally inclusive nation. And it kind of just calls back on to what we've been talking about so far, just the importance of making sure people know how to use tech and, and what an impact that can have. You know, if, if just people, everyday lives, are engaging with tech a lot more, it's going to have a massive impact on the country and, and really benefit its economy in all aspects of, of life. It's, it's startups, companies, business development, uh productivity, etc. It's going to have a massive impact on everything. Uh, so the blueprint is also trying to talk about how it's going to introduce its national broadband plan to get broadband to people across the country, because at the moment, its penetrate broadband penetration rate only sits around 50%. So, you know, half the country aren't even receiving the, the levels of broadband that they need at the moment. Um, and another sort of area that I thought was really interesting, considering it's still a developing nation in this respect, is it's really pushing for the likes of AI and blockchain technologies and trying to develop these in the country. So it's not just a case of drastically implementing the relevant infrastructure in the country, but also keeping an eye on emerging technologies. And I thought that was really important and uh, interesting to see that they really are trying to tackle everything at once, but it shows the importance that these emerging technologies are going to have in the future and i just wanted to get your guys take on you know how, what what do you think of this approach is it in your opinion key that we that countries like nigeria and other countries perhaps throughout africa focus on the likes of ai and blockchain while they're also focusing on other things as simple as digital literacy you know i, I just thought it'd be uh, good to get your take on and how you think this kind of approach um will go so polly what do you think about this yeah i think it's all really positive i don't really have anything bad to say about it at all um i think it's even just the the broadband thing getting the broadband plan of boosting the broadband penetration rate even that on its own will be uh completely uh, i hate to use the word revolutionary but like you know that would be incredible and to think how far they've got already because um, I think, the, well, you said the broadband penetration is at around 50%, uh, but in 2015, it was in 6%, according to your fantastic article. So I think even that is an achievement in itself. And to get the broadband uh, implementation up will really start to drive digital transformation in the region in a way that, you know, you can't have without it. Like, it is essential technology. Uh, but no, I think, you know, the the push of digital transformation and the push to get digital literacy is fantastic and it is so important if you want to you know drive towards being digital and having a digital economy a digital nation whatever then you need to start from the bottom up and you need to start from you know your citizens and I think to identify that 
um, in their strategy is fantastic and I'm really quite impressed by all of it and just the general push I think it is wonderful um and I think it kind of goes to show you you know we all think of sort of Nigeria and other African countries as to be you know less developed as other places but if if somewhere like Nigeria can put this big plan in place and I have no doubt that they will carry it out because I mean they've already had some great successes with similar kind of things um if they can do it then why can't other places do it you know why can't we have that in in other more developed for one of a better phrase countries and to think that you know in the next few years we'll have three million Nigerians with technical talent that maybe you don't have elsewhere I think that will be completely uh, extraordinary and I think it will do a lot of things for the Nigerian economy because a lot of places will be looking towards Nigeria for the talent that they can't find elsewhere um, especially in sort of um, I know a while ago we were kind of talking a lot about talent shortages and the lack of, of talent in the fintech space, but here are going to be millions of people ready to to take it on. So I think it's an exciting, exciting time. And this, this sort of blueprint from uh, Nigeria has come at a really good time, at a really positive time, um, f- at least, you know, to try and get into the market. And I just hope we see a lot of other countries and a lot of other governments follow suit with a similar kind of plan. Yeah, exactly. I think you made a good point about the fact that something we've seen globally is a serious talent shortage at the moment. And we are always talking about developing technologies and you know new sectors and new bits of technology that are being implemented into you know all aspects of, of finance and, and technology, you know, everywhere in every industry. But the talent just isn't catching up. And something in this country, you know, I, I, I've obviously been to quite a lot of fintech events and, and a lot of the topics are centered around talent and talent acquisition and talent shortages and the discussion is always we have a problem but it's really difficult to solve it how do we solve this serious talent shortage and it it's a case of you know how do we implement it into into schools how do we train you know more adults in in these areas and then you have a country like nigeria that is has this very ambitious plan but it's setting it out in the next four years, you know, we want to have trained 3 million people and it could have a massive impact if it is successful uh, and to a good level in alleviating this talent shortage, not only in Nigeria, but across the world, but also making, putting Nigeria at the forefront of, of this, of this solution. So I think it'd be really interesting um, to see what kind of impact this plan could have, not only on across Nigeria, but throughout the whole global tech scene. But uh, Francis, what are you? Uh, what, what's your take on this now? There was a couple of things that I wanted to talk about. Really, I think I, there was one thing that I wanted to talk about, but I can't remember exactly if it was actually Nigeria or not. But I remember there was, I think it was, there was a cashless drive where the country basically was getting rid of all its old notes and and was basically trying to in, enforce digital first payments. And then everyone went to banks and it was this mass chaos and it was everyone trying to withdraw, withdraw their money from their bank accounts and there wasn't enough money to go around. And and it really was a disaster. But I think the reason I bring that up is because when you're talking about digital first and digital adoption and digital transformation, there is it has to have something to transform from. And I think when you really are struggling with having a, a currency, this can often be a challenge. One thing that I do find really interesting is this idea of digital literacy and making sure that 95% of the 
population is going to be digitally aware by 2030. And I think when you combine that with the fact that Nigeria was the first African country to really launch a central bank digital currency, a CBDC, the e-Naira, I think it is, or I think it is really important to sort of see it in the grander scheme of things at how impactful that can be. Although the CBDC was originally, it didn't have a very much adoption after one year, it has actually increased 12-fold to 13 million users now. And I think when you really take that into consideration and how, uh, what's the word, it's innovative, it really is, I suppose, of the country to be taking this step and exploring this central bank digital currency. I think it is a really important way and it's a way to really appreciate the country as well for because I remember you were saying to like is it a good thing that they're delving into blockchain technology and I think the answer is absolutely yes it is it's really leading the way and like you both mentioned we're probably going to see other countries following suit and that's not because I mean it is sorry because of the fact that it is it works so well and it is so important to have this sort of level of transformation so ultimately I think it's it's great to sort of see that it's setting these aims the important thing is just actually achieving them now i mean it's all all well and good saying this is what we hope to do now they just got to put action to, to the words and hopefully that will be the case yeah exactly it's, it's so good to see a uh, a country that obviously has recognized that it needs to develop its infrastructure but also is keeping one eye on these emerging technologies that it can see is going to have a massive impact and, and the fact that it's trying not to fall behind in that respect and maybe even position itself as a leader, um, specifically in Africa at the very least, for the likes of AI and blockchain could make it uh, a very prosperous plan and decision uh, come the future. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, quickly on to my one then, a very rapid change of pace. Um, so I thought this was a really interesting one to talk to you today because I think we, at least I anyway, always talk about fintech working best in a niche and it operating in a niche. So when fintech can find a niche to be in, it kind of just works really nicely. Um, and this is literally the nichest of niches. Well, it's not even that much of a niche of niche, but very rarely do we ever see any financial products aimed at over 50s that aren't you know, like pensions or savings or retirement, things like that. Um, I think at least I've seen, if you guys have seen any, let me know. But I think to aim your product at the over 50s market is brilliant and it's genius. And I think, you know, there is a lot of demand there um, for financial services, for the over 50s clientele. And especially when, you know, with sort of reduced admin and like easy access and I know I know we all kind of make the mistake of thinking that anyone who's old can't access technology I know we've talked about that ages and ages ago on the podcast before um about like just because you're over a certain age doesn't mean that you're now completely technologically illiterate and you do have an understanding of things like that but in order to kind of make things simpler I think this is a really interesting partnership and a really interesting thing to launch and I think especially when you think of sort of the the wealth that people who are over 50s have, like they tend to be a little bit more affluent than than younger people just because they've had longer on this earth to get more money and earn more money. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of kind of demand for, you know, financial services, particularly with sort of like high deposit levels because a lot of the, you know, um, uh, not high deposit, sorry, a lot of with like savings and stuff because a lot of the savings 
uh, things are usually aimed towards like younger people with like ISAs and things where you put your money in an ISA and then you don't touch it for like 20 years until or like until you're ready to buy a house or XYZ. So I think having specific um, products for the over 50s, I think is really interesting. And I think especially because they are planning on becoming a super brand for older individuals in the UK and offering a curated range of products and services specifically for this age category. Um, it's very interesting to me. And I just wanted to kind of talk about it and see what you guys thought and whether um, I guess you think that this is sort of something that we're going to see a lot more of as we go. And, you know, kind of just what are your thoughts on this? Tom, throw it to you. Yeah, well, as you said, I think this is this is only a good thing. It's, uh, it's I feel like I say, this is my kind of saying in all these podcasts, but I feel like I can't believe we haven't seen this earlier, uh, this type of thing. Specifically, you know, I mean, you, you called it the niches of niches. Uh, but I'm just not sure, like, you know, over 50s, I don't know what proportion of the population is over 50, but a significant proportion, uh, it would be regardless. But I think it's perhaps one of the reasons we haven't seen these types of solutions specifically aimed at the over 50s is the fact that, you know, we always hear about reports, you know, the youngest, the younger generations are the most digitally savvy. They're the ones, you know, looking at their finances more because they're actually, you know, more engaged with financial technology. And it's the older generations that often seem to be missing out on, they're not, perhaps they're not engaging more, but this type of thing is going to have uh, a significant impact, you know, because it's aimed directly at those over 50. And I think it's the type of area that has obviously needed this type of action and, and a solution and, you know, savings account before. And it's good that we're finally getting one now for the over 50s. And it's not, you know, going to be an age group that's, that's neglected forever. And this type of uh, this part partnership is going to have a, a good impact and hopefully support a lot of uh, a lot of people as they try to save money in their later life as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think I yeah you know, I agree with everything you've said. I think it's such a it's hard to find a fault with it, really. But I mean, the king of devil's advocate, I'm sure, will find something to pick at it. So, Francis, why don't you go ahead? Surprisingly, not. No, uh, I'm completely with you guys this time. I think it's like Tom said. I, I don't know how we haven't really seen anything like this sooner, and it, it's just a good thing. It's just more financially inclusive. There's no way to look at it and think that this is an issue or this is a problem. I think going forward, I don't know if we'll see things specifically for, you know, over 50s. Because I think as as time goes on, the more and more people are going to be more digitally literate as as we expect it to be in, in a way that we grow up with it as we get older and we're more likely to be on these platforms. You know, it will already be used to it. So I don't know if we'll be getting things specifically made in the future but for the time being i i can only say good things i think it brings awareness for people that perhaps i mean we were talking about it earlier the the british population does have this i don't really care attitude associated with the culture so i think you know having having a service which really does sort of lend itself to a specific niche group it's only a good thing and it, and it can only help people who perhaps previously weren't aware of it so yeah no I'm, I think it's great fantastic well yeah I think I think on as like a final note when we we talk about financial inclusion a lot in fintech and in a lot of different ways and I think people forget that 
that means a lot of different things. And I think you nailed it there, Francis. That it it also means having you know solutions for like other people. It's not just about people who are like unbanked or or things like that. It's about being inclusive to everyone and having products and services that are suitable for everyone's needs, no matter what those needs are. And I think this is a really great example of that and how hopefully it will work really well for the people it's designed for. So, um, yeah, love that. Uh, anyway, moving very swiftly on. Uh, thank you so much, guys, for bringing your articles to the conversation today. Uh, if you want to hear any more about anything we've spoken about today or anything else about fintech, head on over to fintechtimes.com where you can read plenty more news and insights over there. Uh, but let's do what I learned this week. So each week we learn so much new stuff uh, being on the editorial team, then we thought it would be fun to share that with our listeners. Uh, so, Francis, what have you learned this week? So, this week I learned that 90% of consumers believe their financial provider could do more to protect them from fraud. Love that. And uh, Tom, what have you learned this week? This week I learned that 74% of business leaders in the UK see AI as their main way that they can mitigate risk as the economic conditions become more and more difficult in the UK. Very interesting. And I learned that millennials and Gen X say they spend more than Gen Z when it comes to using buy now, pay later for online shopping over the past 12 months from uh, a new survey from TransUnion. So amazing. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining me once again uh, for this riveting FinTech check. And I will catch you on the next one. See you guys next week. See you then. Thanks for listening to the FinTech Times News and Views podcast. Don't miss next week's episode and continue the conversation using hashtag TFT News and Views and follow us at the FinTech Times.